Have you ever tried to share your faith? You know you're a Christian. You know Jesus has changed your life. And, and you want to share that with someone. You want to take that risk, whatever that may look like, to a friend or an associate or someone you work with or someone at school, and, and you've shared it, and it didn't go well. They didn't receive it. They kind of blew you off or didn't even want to talk to you about it, kind of shut you down, or maybe even ridiculed you about your faith in Christ. What was your tendency when that happened? We'll normally have one or two responses to that. Either we'll back off and have a tendency to be quiet, Basically, without saying it out loud, I'm not doing that again. I don't want to take that risk. My goodness, I, I just can't believe they responded that way. Or, on the other side, it can make you bolder. Even more confident in your faith in Christ and confident of your desire to share it. Most people, when they're ridiculed for their faith or persecuted for their faith or shut down in sharing their faith, will normally have one or two responses. Either I'm not going to do that again, or I'm going to even be more bold in sharing my faith in Christ because I'm absolutely convinced it's the answer to life. Now, the concept of suffering or being persecuted to our faith or for our faith is foreign to most of us. Now, some of us have had times in our lives when someone made fun of you for being a follower of Christ or made light of the fact that you were a follower of Christ or didn't understand, but for the most part, the concept of suffering or being persecuted for our faith is something that most of us in the United States context aren't always familiar with. Not so in most of the rest of the world. In the Middle East, in Africa, Northern Africa, Southern Africa, in Asia, in Southeast Asia, in Indonesia... They face it constantly. You may have heard some of these stats before, but when I saw them again this week, it still blew my mind. More Christians were martyred for their faith in the 20th century, the one we just left, than in the previous 19 centuries combined. More Christians were martyred for their faith in the 20th century than in the previous 19th centuries combined. More than 170,000 Christians are martyred for their faith every year. Does that not stagger you? That's 400 a day. Are martyred for their faith every single year. We're made fun of and we back off. Somebody makes light of us and we may have a tendency, as I said a moment ago, to back off. They're martyred for their faith every single year. Currently, over 200 million Christians are being persecuted worldwide. You hear a lot about it on the news over the last number of months. You've heard of the pastor in Iran or a pastor from here but is in an Iran prison for the last number of months. There's a, a lot of it what we hear, but so often it's so foreign to us, we can't process it. Christians are persecuted in 131 of the world's 193 countries. That's huge. The Apostle Paul dealt with it on a regular basis. There are a number of things that I love about the Apostle Paul, but one of the things I love about the Apostle Paul is his honesty. There are burdens I carry that I can't share with you. I love you like crazy. I have no desire to go anywhere else than being your pastor for the rest of my ministry life. But there are burdens because of what I carry or situations that I know or things that I deal with that I can't share publicly. What I love about Paul is that he honestly shares his emotions from every aspect. He's honest about his feelings. He's honest about his emotions. He's honest about his joy. He's really honest about his struggles. Paul, as I mentioned a moment ago, paid a very dear price for sharing the gospel. He's pretty open about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, that you'll see on the screen in a moment, says this. 
It seems to me that God has been putting us apostles on display like those condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe. Verse 11, he said, To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We're brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our hands. We're cursed and we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says this five times. I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one, which is obviously 39. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in the country, at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for the churches. Now, that's pretty intense. That's pretty honest about the price he's willing to pay to share the gospel of Christ. I've had a lot of sleepless nights. I've had a few tough board meetings. I've had people that I know left the church because they didn't like me. I understand that. But when I read what Paul went through, I can't even process it. In today's world, we expect people to celebrate and rejoice in their accomplishments, their peace, their blessings, their health and wealth. But Paul's rejoicing over his suffering doesn't make sense to a worldview that values comfort and ease as the highest good. Now, you notice that Paul doesn't say, I rejoice in spite of the sufferings, I rejoice in them. Christ never promises us immunity from affliction and pain. He only promises us that he'll be with us in it. A lot of us don't even have a good theology on suffering as it is, let alone how to deal with persecution. One of the subjects that I would love to explore in this series is how to deal with pain and disappointment. God doesn't promise us a perfect life here on this earth, but he does promise us an amazing future someday in a perfect in heaven, perfect heaven, and that he will walk with us even in the valley of the shadow of death. I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you, he said. I had a funeral here yesterday, a memorial service here yesterday that was phenomenal. Two children who walked through the valley of the shadow of death who are absolutely convinced that God was there in the midst of it all. This week, at some point, I'll have a memorial burial for Corky Snodgrass. I love that man. Barb Houston, it used to sit right there, and every Sunday she came with a smile and a joy in her face, and I'll have her service on Thursday, and I'm absolutely convinced that God will walk with that family through the valley of the shadow of death no matter what we go through. He is there. Colossians chapter 1 this morning. Chapter, 20, chapter 1, verse 24. Kind of read into the first few verses of chapter 2 as well. So follow along with me if you have your Bibles or your iPad. I hope you have your Bibles this morning really specifically because I want you to underline some phrases or, or, or sections of Scripture. Again, we're supporting Christ's Pregnancy Center. And if you have one of these, please bring it in by Sunday the 16th at the latest so that we can see how God is blessing us to minister to them. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 24. I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regards to Christ's affliction. For the sake of his body, which is the church, I become a servant by the commission that God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. 
The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to God's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not yet met me personally. My goal is that they can be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they can know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Next Sunday morning, Ted's going to pick up in verse 4. You don't want to miss that as well because look at why he says I'm telling you this. I tell you all of this, verse 4. I tell you all of this. It's incredibly important that you understand it so that no one comes in and deceives you by fine-sounding arguments. I'm going to talk to you next Sunday about worldview and the importance of being solid in your faith because there are a number of people out there giving you different answers. I want to unpack this one this morning. Look at verse 24 again. I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. You need to understand that Paul's not complaining about suffering. He's just being really honest about the price that many have paid to follow Christ and the price he has paid to proclaim Christ. Some of you experience people's rejection. Through the years, you've tried to share your faith. Maybe it's somebody at work, somebody at school, and, and you understand that. You understand what it's like to be turned down. You understand what it's like to be laughed at. Maybe you understand what it's like for people not to receive what it is that you have to say. Normally, you have one or two responses. Either it will paralyze you. I didn't think they would do that. I didn't think they wouldn't embrace it. Good night. We live in America. Everybody knows about God. I thought they would be okay with me sharing about Jesus or my faith in Christ or what I do on Sunday or how much I love serving God. And then all of a sudden you get that feedback that you didn't expect. And if you're not careful, it has a tendency to, to paralyze you. I don't know what to do now. I, I don't, I, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to say it anymore. Or it can make you even more bold and more convinced of the fact that you really do want to share your faith in Christ. And you want to make sure that others understand that as well. If indeed that's your response and not paralysis, then you understand Paul's response. He was very aware of what it was going to cost to follow Jesus and very aware of the price that he was going to have to pay, and he was willing to do it. He remembered the words of Jesus, I'm sure, at some point, when Jesus looked at his disciples and said, look, I want to be really honest with you. Not everyone's going to like you because of me. Matter of fact, there are a lot of people who are going to hate you because of me. I just want you to know that. I love the Word of God, and there are just so much of it that just pops into my mind that are so powerful. One of them, to me, most amazing is when Jesus is sharing with his disciples how difficult it's going to be to follow him. And it honestly tells them what price they're going to have to pay. And he kind of raises the bar as high as he could. He started out that way in the Sermon on the Mount. And then he continues all the way through his ministry. And you all know that he had 12 disciples. And if you're really aware of Scripture, you know that Luke tells us really he sent out 70 or 72, depending on which translation you use. But hundreds really claim to be followers of Christ. And at that point, when he's beginning to share with them the price that they're going to have to pay and praise over them that they'll stay solid to the end, one of the apostles says to us that a number of people started to walk away. You almost wonder if it was right in the middle of a sermon. 
really? It's, it's going to be that hard. We'll, we won't be received. We'll be rejected. People won't like it. We'll have to pay a price. We'll have to die. And as they processed that, they literally walked away. Jesus looked at 12 and said, are you going to go too? They'd been with him for the whole three years. They'd been with him through everything. And he honestly looked at them and said, are you going to go too? And John or Peter, who always didn't say the right thing, said one of the most profound in all of Scripture. When he said, Jesus, where else would we go? Because you alone have the answers to life. And so I'll pay the price. Paul said the same. Where else do you go? Because he and he alone has the answers to life. At the end of this section of Scripture, Paul talks in verse 24 about suffering and identifying himself with Christ. He's not trying to catch up to what Jesus suffered. He's not saying, I, I need to pay the same price. Uh, he paid a lot, so I want to make sure that I pay as much. He's not saying that at all. He's basically saying, I get it. I understand I'm willing to follow Christ. I know it's going to cost me a lot, but I know it'll never cost me what it cost him, and so I'll go. I don't know if you remember the last time you took a bold stand for Christ. You really took a bold stand for Christ. If you do, you joined Paul. And if you did, I hope it made you as bold as him. He goes on in verse 25 to 27 to tell us a number of reasons, and I really want you to understand this. He tells us a number of reasons as to why he's willing to pay the price and why he believes in a sermon title that you have in your bulletin this morning, it's worth the risk. Look at verse 25. I've become a servant of God by his commission, by the commission that he gave to me to present to you the word of God to its fullness, the mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations, now disclosed to God's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. A number of reasons why Paul said, I'm willing to do this. One, to be really honest with you, I've been called by God. And so have you. You may have not been called by God to be an evangelist. You may have not been called by God to be a pastor or a preacher, but you have been called by God to witness. All of us who know our faith in Christ is sure and solid, who know that Jesus rescued us and redeemed us and set us free and we invited him into our life, all of us have been called to witness. You may have not been called to do what I do or what others do in that context or be an evangelist and go around and sharing that truth, but you and I have all been called to witness. Some have had this huge weight put on them because they've been specifically called by God to proclaim the truth in a setting like I do and many others have done. Paul said, I've been called by God. I've been commissioned by him. There's no way I'm turning this down. There's no way I'm not willing to pay the price. He identifies with the prophet Jeremiah said, this is like a fire burning in my soul. I've got to share this news. I've got to share this faith. I've got to share what I know is true. Been in this context for years of interviewing pastors and missionaries who feel like they've been called into ministry and then trying to determine whether or not they really have been called by God or just sense that's something they ought to do because they're a believer in Jesus. And you work them through the process, and the one thing that we always want to make sure they're very clear on is their call, specifically when it comes to those who are serving God overseas. Because some of them, in some context, really will pay a very dear price. 
There are two things that I remember in my life. You know how that, where were you when? I remember where I was the day John F. Kennedy was shot. And I remember where I was in 1968 when I heard that missionaries in the CNMA, friends who happened to be friends of ours, were killed for serving Christ in Bamatuit in 1968. Through the years, there have been a number of them who have our first missionaries expected not to return. The very first ones that A.B. Simpson sent out, the founder of our denomination, they went with caskets in their outfit list, knowing they wouldn't return. Paul said, I've been called by God. And many of those that we interview, we want to make sure they are as well. Because when they get overseas and people don't respond, don't like what they have to do, hurt them, hate them, or distort the truth and try to get them out of their country, we want to make sure they're very clearly convinced that God called them. And Paul said, I know that. The second thing that he says in here is, I do this because this truth is for everyone. This truth is for the entire world. I do this because this truth is for all to hear. He declares in verse 27, one of my favorite verses, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The emphasis in that particular section of Scripture, specifically those three words, all have significance. Christ in you, the hope of glory. All three of those words are significant. So I want to unpack them for a moment this morning. Notice what he says, Christ in you. Not God out there somewhere, not Christ in a tabernacle somewhere, not God in a cloud, not God in a pillar of fire. Christ is in you, the hope of glory, in you, not out there somewhere or never confined to a place. I love when we sing on Sunday morning. I love to gather together as a family of God and sing and celebrate, but I want to make sure that none of us ever can find worship to an event or a place or a time. It was never intended to be that way. I've been moved by God in his presence by myself. In the midst of a sunset, sitting on the edge of the Rocky Mountains, sitting on the edge of the Grand Canyon. A month ago, I was gathering with pastors in a duck blind in remote Nowheresville, Arkansas. And the sun began to come up. And what do you think all of us pastors wanted to do? Sing! It was amazing. I listened to Christian, that K-Love thing, you know, 30 days, take 30-day challenge. I've been doing that for three, two to three years. Because I love Christian music. I love to be in those places. I love to sing in a car. I love a tr car, a truck. I don't drive a car. I drive a truck. I know that shocks some of you. I love to do that. I listen to K-Love all week. I listen to Word FM on the weekend. I'm too much preaching and teaching to me throughout the week, so I want to hear music. And so I listen to them on the weekend. I've been working with FLM, Family Life Network, out of Bath, New York. I lived in Cottersport for 10 years, the remote capital of nowhere, and they had one of the greatest Christian stations on the planet. And I came here to Pittsburgh, and I thought there were 20 choices. I, I found one. And then K-Love started to come in, and I enjoyed that. But I've been working with them forever to try to get them in Butler because I think just so much opportunity for us on a variety of bases to sing and to celebrate, drive it in your vehicle, on your way to work, at home, in your computer, just to be able to spend time with God. I love it when he says, Christ is in you. Not out there somewhere, not in a tabernacle somewhere, not in a place, not in a fire, not in a cloud. He's in us. He's with us everywhere we go. He's with us everywhere we are. That concept is incredible. Never confine your worship to a place or a time or an event. You know why? Because he's in you. He's in me. Everywhere we go, he is. That's awesome news. That's why Paul was so excited. Can you imagine how his voice began to elevate and the excitement and energy that that declared from him? Because he's looking at these people who never knew that, 
who weren't even convinced of that, who had never even heard of that concept, and now they're hearing it for the first time. Hey, I want you to know God, the God of the universe, in his son Jesus Christ, by the power of his spirit, has come into your life, and he's right in you. It's awesome news. I'm excited about it. I hope you are. <clears throat> I had a cup of coffee and a donut between services. Could you tell? No. <laughs> Somebody said, really? Really, you need a cup of coffee and a donut between services. Second emphasis in this phrase is Christ in you. Christ in you. And that you is very, very unique because it is for everyone. Specifically to the Gentiles, as I said a moment ago. It's not just for the Jews. It's not for an exclusive club. It's not for a special group of people. It's not to the exclusion of the Jews. It's to the inclusion of the Gentiles. And to them, that was good news. This gospel message is for everyone. And that was amazing. Why do you think I so love the Christian Missionary Alliance when we do everything we can to support missionaries who are taking this gospel of Jesus Christ all around the globe? Everywhere we can, to everyone. Everyone has the right to hear what you and I understand. That was incredible news for the Gentile world. I mean, amazing news. Us? <clears throat> for us? Christ in us? Paul would say, you bet. Not for a specific group or a particular group, not just for the Jews. It's for you, all of us. That's amazing. Someone said the gospel message is like computer shareware. Where it's free to everyone who wants to download it. The mystery revealed to Paul was that God intended to save the Gentiles from the very beginning. In Ephesians chapter 2, he said his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Christ among the Gentiles and the hope of glory for them was startling news to the Jews. They're going, really? I thought that was just for us. Paul said, no, it's for everyone. And for the Gentiles, it was the greatest news they could have ever heard, that it was for them. He rejoices because God has chosen him to make this mystery known to Gentiles everywhere. And even though he knew he was going to pay an enormous price for sharing it, he was delighted in the fact that he could be a part of God's plan to share with all creation. Third emphasis on this <clears throat> is Christ in you. Now, I'm going backwards, and I understand that, but you've you got to understand the context of those three words. In you, in us, for everyone, and it's Christ. He is the central focus. It's all about Jesus. It is him that we proclaim. Look at verses 2 and 3 of chapter 2. <clears throat> My goal is that you can be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that you can have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know what he's saying? Everything you'll ever need is in Jesus. Every single thing you'll ever need is in Jesus. The world will tell you the opposite. Everything you'll ever need is in Jesus. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are, is in him, are in him. You don't need to look anywhere else. Keith, last Sunday morning, shared that at the end. Remember those things that are trying to fill the hole in your soul? Am I blessed or what? That no matter when I'm gone, I've got somebody else that can stand here and deliver with power and confidence. Over these last number of weeks, this has just amazed me when I know that I don't worry one bit when I leave. You're going to hear truth, and you're going to hear it delivered in a powerful way. And last Sunday morning when he talked to you about all those things we try to stuff in that hole, 
deep in our soul and nothing else stays and nothing else sticks and everything falls through. The context is this. All you and I ever need is in Jesus. And Paul said, I want you to know it's Christ. It's not theory. It's not theology. It's not doctrine. It is Jesus. And that's why we concentrate so much on him. No other place do you need to look. Only Christ can fill the hole in your soul. Look at another one of the reasons that Paul is willing to pay the price and knowing that it's worth the risk. Verse 28, he's the one we proclaim. We admonish, we teach, we want everyone to become fully mature in Christ. So to that end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you. My goal in verse 2 is that you can be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. That's still our goal. That has never changed. We live in a world filled with Bibles, but people who don't know what's in the Bible. We live in a context where the world is filled with Bibles. Some of you probably have two or three at home, but we have so many people that really don't know what's in the Bible. They have a Bible. They know where it's at, but they don't know what's in it. One of the reasons we promote the Walk Through the Bible seminar, in one day you'll have the opportunity to understand what God teaches us through the entire Old Testament. Do you know there are people in other churches, none of you because I know you, but there are people in other churches who don't know what's in the Word of God. Is that not shock you or what? Aren't you glad you come here because you know it all? But I've heard somewhere that there are people in other churches who have Bibles, two or three of them, who don't know the Word of God. The same goal that Paul had 2,000 years ago is the same one we have here today. We want you to know the Word of God. We want you to be fully mature in Christ. We want to be able to stand before God knowing we've done our absolute best to raise you up to do all you can and all you've been designed to be in Jesus. And here it is. One day, one seminar, you'll have the opportunity to walk through the Old Testament. One of the reasons when I preach on Sundays, every year I make sure we go back and forth between Old and New Testament. I loved the series we did on Joshua. I don't know if you did. I loved it. Esther, but there are so many times we think, well, these are old stories that don't really aren't really relevant anymore. This is the Word of God from beginning to end. And it has so much to say to life now. All the answers you'll need is in here. Paul said, I'm doing everything I can to make sure they understand it all. And the people that he was declaring it to didn't even have the luxury of this. I want you to have every opportunity possible to find out and understand what the Word of God has to say. We do it in a number of ways. Paul says, I want you to know everything you can about Christ. And so I do it by proclaiming, he said. And I do the same. We do it by preaching. We proclaim to you the Word of God. What we do on Sunday morning is proclaim to you the Word of God. He said, I also do it by teaching. I kind of have that as unpacking the Word of God. I, I know what it says. I read through it, but I want to really understand how it relates to me and to where I live right now. In a few weeks, we're going to be in chapter 3. You don't want to miss that one because it talks to us as much today as it did 2,000 years ago when it was written. I want to understand what it has to say. I want to make sure that I clearly process it. Paul said, I also do it, to be honest with you, by admonishing. We think of the word admonishing, and we think maybe he's kind of yelling at them. What's wrong with you? You don't get it? You're a follower of Christ. Live up to that. Be a man of God, a woman of God. Share your faith. What's wrong with you? He doesn't do that. It's not what admonishing means. It simply means to put on the right path. One of the better words were discipline. Now, when you talk to your kids about discipline, they don't think that is a positive term, right? 
I'm going to discipline you today. Yes. Ice cream afterwards is going to be fun. They don't think of that. But basically, discipline simply means put them on the right path. Keeping them on the right track. <laughs> Some parents, we don't discipline our kids really like I didn't notice that. <laughs> Sorry, that's in. Oh, it's coming up in chapter three. Keith, I'm taking chapter three. It's coming up under family relationships. They don't think of it as that. But basically, Paul said, I just want to keep you on the right path. Now, you can do that by yelling. I see coaches do that all the time. How stupid can you be? How can you not see what you're supposed to do? Or you know what? You have so much potential. You've been gifted and designed by God. I believe in you more than you believe in yourself. And I want to put you on the right path. I want to help you go in the right way. I'm sure you've seen coaches use one or the other. I'm, I'm sure maybe you've seen parents, you've heard of parents that do one or the other, yell and scream to get them on the right path or encourage them to get on the right path. You'll get a lot more done by encouragement than by putting down. just want you to know that. And Paul said, I'm not yelling at you. <laughs> Acts 20, verse 31, it says he spent three years admonishing the Ephesians. He didn't spend three years yelling at them. He just said, I, I, I want to I help you. I want to put you on the right path. You know why? Verse 29. My goal is to present you mature in Christ. My goal is to present you mature in Christ. To that end, I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in you, in me. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. You know what Paul's saying? I want you to know that when it's all said and done and I stand before Almighty God, I want to know that I've done my absolute best. I want to say, God, here's the Ephesians. Look at them. Man, they're mature in Christ. Lord, here's the Laodiceans. Here's the Galatians. Here's the Philippians. Here's the Colossians. I, I want you to know, Jesus, I did everything I could. I was willing to pay the price. I did everything I could to make sure that when I present them to you, here they are, Jesus. I want to make sure that I present them to you fully mature in Christ. Don't you want that as a parent? When it's all said and done, you stand before God. Don't you want to say, Jesus, I did my absolute best. You gave me John and Mary and Susie and Melinda and whatever the name may be. And I did my absolute best. And here they are. I'm presenting them to you mature in Christ. I'm going to do this till the day God says you're done. But one of my greatest goals and one of the reasons I want to be with you to the end of my ministry time is to be able to walk into the presence of God with you. I've lived here longer than I've lived any place else in my entire life, even in school growing up. And this is home. I get mad when somebody disses Butler. Man, this is home. Don't, don't talk about my home. And I want to I finish with you. And if God comes home and, and, and God comes back and we all get to go to see Jesus together, you know how fun that would be to walk into heaven with you? To be able to say, here they are. Man, we worked hard. We wanted them to know the word. We taught. We shared. We did Bible studies. We did small groups. We did lessons. We did walk through the Bible. I wanted them to know your word. And I wanted them to be sure in you. And so here they are. Here's Community Alliance Church, Jesus. We've done our absolute best to present them mature in Christ. Don't you want to do that? Don't you want to do that with your family, with your friends? Don't you want to walk to Jesus and say, look, Jesus, I did my best. 
I shared with you, I know it was hard. Not everybody received it. I loved them. I didn't yell at them. I didn't say, you're going to hell if you don't accept Jesus. You want to accept Jesus? Okay, say these words. Not, I didn't do that. I loved them into Christ. I loved them into the faith. I shared my story. I told them how much I loved them and cared about them, and I wanted them to mature with me, and I wanted them to go to heaven with me. And so I took stands. Man, I was bold with my faith. I declared it. I knew it was going to cost me some things. But when it's all said and done, Jesus, I thought, what a thrill it will be to stand before you and present them before you mature. I don't know about you, but that's a way to live life. And Paul said to me, it's worth the risk. Father, your word is powerful. I, I'm, every week I'm blown away that for 2,000 years we've been able to unpack this word and it still be so relevant and so powerful. And so, Jesus, I trust that you will continue to help us to understand the implications to us personally for those that tomorrow and throughout the week will have the opportunity to maybe tell their story to a friend or a coworker or someone at school, to take a risk, to stand for their faith, to take a bold stand, to not go to some trashy movie or some dumb place because they want to take a stand for you and don't want to have that infect their life. Whatever that looks like for them, God, I pray that you'll give them the courage to know that it was worth the risk. Thank you for this church. I love this place. I love the opportunity we have to do ministry together and learn and grow and develop to speak to the head and the heart. And I trust that you are pleased with what we're doing and where we're at. And when we see you face to face, we will have known we've done our best. So as we as parents and teachers and small group leaders and all over this campus, people are encouraging and loving and doing it in so many different places in this community. Help us to do our absolute best to see people come to faith and know that's the answer to life in Jesus.